Hi everyone, welcome to the lost generation outside of the mainstream. My name is William Hooker. I am a musician, poet, and part of this generation of artists. My goal with this podcast, which is being broadcast on its own YouTube channel and my website, williamhooker.com, is to introduce you to many of the musical artists that are outside of the mainstream and have made important artistic contributions to our culture. I have also interviewed producers of the music and many fans and supporters of this work. My guests are sharing what makes this art form unique and significant. I hope these conversations will inspire you to listen to the music, which may change you and the way you view music, which again is outside of the mainstream. Today my special guest is Ted Daniel, trumpet player, composer, and band leader. He will be immediately followed by Andrew Lamb saxophonist and band leader. The interviews come out on the 1st and the 15th of each month. We are presenting these interviews and we have so many amazing interviews coming up that you will be hearing in the future. This is The Lost Generation Outside of the Mainstream. This is a story that needs to be told. I know Ted Daniel as an exquisite trumpet player, a trumpet player that can that can state through his horn what he's thinking. And Ted, be honest with you, I don't know that many people that are on that level. Well, thank you for that compliment. It's really true, Ted. It's really true. And I see that more and more. I'm asking you something about consciousness. What do you think, Ted? What do you think? In terms of the consciousness that has been stated throughout this this whole sitting, how have we elevated the consciousness of this culture through our being here and stating the music in the free jazz way that we've done it? Let me, uh, before I answer that question or attempt to answer that question, let me just say, I think I'm in a unique situation here in this in this uh, setting because I'm in between, say, you and and Warren and Dick in terms of generation or in terms of uh, epoch. Uh, I first came to New York in '65 uh, with my friend uh, Sonny Chirac and. Uh, my group at that time on the Lower East Side was Sonny Chirac and Dave Burrell, uh, Byard Lancaster, the late Byard Lancaster, mm-hmm. and uh, Bobby Cap and a few other people, you know. And uh, they've had a, a place on Bond Street. Uh, this was before Sam's place, right down the street from. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, so that's how I came to New York that early in the game. And it was a Lower East Side thing. 
In fact, uh, 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 Sun Ra was there on 3rd Street as a, at that time. Right. But anyway, uh, I'm just trying to give a setting of, 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 of who you're talking to. And so, um, this consciousness that you speak of, yes. at that time, uh, the music that I was involved with, involved with was called free music or the new thing and sometimes referred to as energy music and I got that term from the, the wonderful uh, the great Sonny Murray whom I played with and uh, uh, went to went to Newport uh, Newport uh, Jazz Festival with him in 1969 when I moved back to New York so I had left for uh, in between 65 66 how was that particular gig accepted that particular gig yes um, Newport. You know, it was it, it was hard to re remember. Um, we didn't play that long. I tell you who was on the band, and I tell you the experience real quick. Uh, it was uh, Sonny Murray, uh, Lukeman Latif on tenor, uh, Carlos Ward on alto, myself on trumpet, uh, Alan Silva on bass, and Cyrone, who was Norris Jones at the time, uh, and. Um, did I say Dave Burrell on piano? Yes. Yeah. And so that that's who went to Newport, uh, and we played. And it's, there's a recording of it. There's there's something you can find it on on the internet. There's some some snippets of that. It was a great band, great 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 uh, experience in playing. People, um, I think, were um, <clears throat> more shocked than anything to hear that because they wasn't hearing it on that level. Newport wasn't having new music at that time. As a matter of fact, that night that we played, His Majesty came up there himself in a red Ferrari in some damn dark sunglasses, looked like the fly, Miles Davis. <laughs> I mean, it was, that's really what I remember about that gig, was Miles Davis coming up there. But um, the music was, um, we played our hearts out as we usually do, yeah. and I think that... Uh, some people were moved, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. But 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 getting back to the consciousness of it all. Yes. Uh, of us, the consciousness yeah, yeah, of us. Sixties, yeah. uh, and you guys have talked about it earlier about uh, uh, the uh, black consciousness uh, uh, that was going on and, and 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 the nationalism that was in the music at the time. Right. Um, and. I think it was about uh, musicians doing for self, right. uh, and so the East was one of those uh, situations. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of different uh, uh, mm -hmm. places to play uh, where musicians themselves came up with the with the space. Right. Uh, but also production of your own music and control of your own music was important at that time, and that's the spirit in which I came up in. That's what's what. I I was involved with uh, coming through New York at the time, right? And so I put out an album of my own. Uh, it was a live recording at Columbia University in 1970. I put it out in '72, um, and but no, other other cats were doing it. Uh, you know, there was uh, Strata East was doing it. Uh, you know, so JCOA, the yeah, entire thing. As a matter of fact, yeah, that's right, that's right. And I went through them. For distribution, <laughs> they they would ship things for me. But uh, so so that was the the period of time that uh, in the consciousness 
that was going on at the time. So the music was to express freedom. You know? And I mean consciousness in the sense of also, Ted, mm -hmm. I wonder you elaborate on another thing. Oh, the first thing that came to mind was uh, Pharaoh's pose in, the, in, in karma. Mm -hmm. He's in a yoga pose. Mm -hmm. He's meditating. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I can remember that yeah. all the musicians that I came up with they're trying to meditate. They're understanding yoga. Mm -hmm. They're understanding. They're understanding about a wholeness and a oneness of life. That it appeared to me that this entire, um, this entire club culture mm -hmm. didn't necessarily foster. Right. Because it seems like the most important thing at that point was like go get the next gig. And I'm wondering about this this thing that came out of the next generation, which was about the creator has a master plan a little bit more, um, uh, you know, mm -hmm. um, those kinds of things. And, and you as a, as a psychologist, I know you understand that. Uh, I'll, have to, that. I'll have to trick you on that. I'm just, I'm I'm just, just throwing it out there. Uh, I am not a psychologist. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, but I do I, have a master's degree in uh, therapy, and I do do that. But uh, I'm not. A, but I'm just throwing that out yeah, there yeah. because the consciousness okay. for me means that. Yeah. But go, please. I'm sorry. Uh, consciousness. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, um, we all were involved in in, in, in thinking a, a little more deeply about our existence and about about uh, what it is that we were trying to uh, put out there Thank you. musically. Mm. You know. It wasn't just uh, uh, a gig. Thank it you. wasn't just uh, uh, let me sell so many thousands, millions of records and so forth. It wasn't about that. It was about uh, playing on a higher plane and, and reaching people, reaching those people and making them, having them feel what you feel or feel the general, what was emanating from the bandstand, what was emanating from the musicians. Um, I was just very fortunate um, to, to, to come uh, on the scene to catch the, the, the masters like, like Coltrane, to see him. I remember, I remember going, uh, being in Philly playing with Bayard Lancaster, who was from Philadelphia. And one Sunday, we, would, we went to uh, this club. I forgot the name. It could have been a showboat or whatever it was. But Train was playing there. And... Uh, <laughs> it was a, the later band. Farrell was on the band and Alice was on the band at that time. But you, you, you got to know something about Philly. Philly, there's a lot of cats down there that are hip. Yeah, baby. You know, you get, get what I'm saying. They were all up in the club like that. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, Train started it. playing. Train started playing. You know, and uh, it went on and it went on and it went on. But, as he began to play and hear the message, all the hipness, all of that stuff went away. And it was like church up in there. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he, the man came to give you a message. I, seen, I actually seen Train play when he did that. Uh, I was about 18, came, came down from Austin to check him out. And he did it at the Vanguard, chasing the train. You know that that first the first Vanguard recording, and I remember I couldn't understand what was happening. 
was a kid, I didn't know. And and, and he was he would had gotten a, got that attack. It was gone. And and Rudy Van Geller was have a flashlight trying to stop him from playing because the tape was running out. But it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, he was getting blessed up in there. And so and so that's the that's the thing that I came up in. That's what I'm talking about. What I have been trying to play and what I tried to play today when I play is to bring that out. That's all I'm doing. You know? And and that's what the generation of cats I came through with, that's what they tried to do. Thank you. Yeah. Because that's a significant to me to me, that's the most significant thing one can give to the planet. Not how to be able to sell Rice Krispies. <coughs> you did. Yeah, yeah. Not how to be able to get voted number one in downbeat. Right. Not how to be able to go to Europe and maybe play eight million tours in Europe and have whoever it is slap you on the back. If you can, if you can point to a higher consciousness, what more can you give? I mean, but that's just me now. Right. At that point, maybe I wasn't aware of it. Mm-hmm. But now I'm aware of the fact that many people in our generation were also thinking the same way. Yeah. They really were. And um, I'm going to name a few people. I want you to elaborate on what you think. If I can. Uh, yeah, yeah. And if you can't, just say so. Mm-hmm. And say, move on. Mm-hmm. Hook, move on. <laughs> Jerry Hemingway. Can't. You don't know him. Know the name, but don't know the don't okay, know the don't word. Know, don't know, know the, the, word. the word. Yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to think. This, these are the these are the people that are the producers. Well, I said Lewis Barnes. Mm-hmm. David Ware. David Ware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. David and I worked with Andrew for. Maybe four years together, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, David was the second tenor player to come. First one was Joe Rigby to play in the, in Andrew's band, Mayono. And so uh, David came. Well, actually, I have to say that Andrew uh, Andrew was very excited about David. Why? Why in this music? He said, was he "Look, excited? I'm going to tell you." Yes. He said, he said, he said, man, I know this, I heard this tennis player, man, he's got a lot of energy, Ted, he's got a lot of energy, and uh, he's going he's gonna to come on the band. So anyway, Dave came on the band, David came on the band, a very uh, humble, uh, quiet type of guy, I, I don't know if humble is quite the word, but very self-possessed and, 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 and within himself, he was very much within himself, uh, but his playing was very strong. Very strong. I was very impressed with, with playing with him. Uh, we did a lot of gigs together. Um, tra- did a lot of traveling in Europe at that time. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I have to say that he was just a very strong, uh, very focused uh-huh. uh, player, you know. And I, I enjoyed his playing quite a bit. He, he inspired me, you know. And the energies that he would put out. You know, he was like um, when I when I when I said that early on that about the consciousness of, of trying to communicate with people and put that out. He he came with that. Didn't have to ask him. <coughs> didn't have to push him for that. He had that. That was 
what he was about also. So that, that band, Mayona, was a very unique little quartet that we had there. And Will Connell. Will Connell. Mm -hmm. Will came later on in, in New York, I remember. Um, not so much his playing as just him as a, uh, as a person. And I think his playing actually reflected uh, uh, his uh, quiet and uh, sincere, determined attitude and, and respectful to to the music and the scene itself. Yeah. Did you know Zen Metsura? I did not know. Not at all. Because he, I guess he worked with Will in uh, Michael Marcus. <laughs> uh, I met Michael. I mentioned him because, I mentioned him because, you know, uh, he's my neighbor. Uh-huh. And, um, I've seen him play um, free, as they mm -hmm. call it, mm -hmm. and I just wanted to know what you think. What you think about his music? Okay, uh, met Michael through Frank Lowe. Great, great, Lowe. great! I'm gonna bring that up as well. Yeah, yeah, Frank Lowe. And uh, Michael lived around the corner from Frank. I think that's what it was. And um, anyway. Mike did some transcriptions for me, not transcriptions, uh, copying for me. I had written some music for Blood Omer, uh, some big band stuff for Blood Omer, and I needed somebody to write it. Anyway, Mike did that. That's how that's how I, I met Mike. And um, how did you work together? Yeah, I'm getting ready to get to that. Yeah, great. So, so I didn't play with him uh, until well, I guess it was. Well, shortly after he came to New York in eighty early eighties, and um, I had started my band again. It was just like the third iteration of Energy. It was a small one, and uh, we were playing that first on first. And I had him playing, uh, Mike playing the baritone, I believe it was at that time in the band. And then um, a few years later, uh, we got together, uh, and uh, we started practicing together, and. Um, we did a duo. We we did a, a few duo uh, duology. That's what we call the band. And we did a hmm, about four four records. You know. What does he play? He's a he actually is a reed player, and he's been focusing on the uh, clarinet for the last five six years, I guess maybe more. But um, and so we got together and, and just just practicing, and eventually we said, well, let's record some of this. So that's how that happened. Next up is Andrew Lamb, the Black Lamb, saxophonist and band leader. I'm sitting here with uh, Andrew Lamb. Uh, Andrew, thank you for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure. And um, tell us a little bit about yourself in about three or four sentences. I'm a composer, saxophonist. I play woodwind family instruments. I have a duo, trio, quartet, large ensemble. I'm an original person. I don't, uh, I'm not trying to tell anyone else's story. I'm trying to tell my story. And I'm very real about that. And I'm real about my identity. And I'm a healer. Because I believe strongly that music heals people. And if you are sincere, you will touch somebody's heart and you will heal somebody. And I'm sincere about that. That's what I believe. And that's how I move around the planet. And 
the, the creative moves with me. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Andrew, you were saying something about, um, I'm trying to address this lost generation, and you were saying mm -hmm. something about the documentation mm -hmm. that has happened between the generations and what has occurred. Would you just mm -hmm. give us a, a synopsis of what you were just elaborating on, because I really feel mm -hmm. that's important for people to understand. Yeah, because there's a generation of the musicians who would now be in their age, the real documented. Now, the musicians that are around that 72, 78 sort of range, they weren't as well documented as the generation before. So, the generation after that, even less documented and more scattered. Because once before, it was each generation was documented as like one behind the other. And then another thing that ended up happening, especially like um, early 90s, early 80s, is when the industry had certain people that they all put together, actually, and you really look at it. And so there's a whole other marketing going on between the people that they established. That this is going to be the new people these are the people who are going to set the new trend. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be the new music. So upon doing that, they skipped a whole another generation completely. And that's why we sitting here today with a gentleman like yourself who has a vision and the foresight and the sincerity to really want to address that. But that's the reality of what happened. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. that's, that's why there's less documentation for the music in this current generation. I see. You know, if you really look at it. Uh-huh. And also, it's also like a control, more or less, of the music, because if, if you're going to doc, if you can take uh -huh. a mass of people and you can say, okay, these are the next people, right. and you market what they do, so this becomes the trend, right? Yeah. So if this becomes the trend, then this is where the masses are supposed to follow, this trend. Yeah. But if you take it, and you look at people like what we're talking about, we're not playing a formula. I'm glad you said that. Okay. I'm glad you said what we're talking about. I'm mm -hmm. glad you said that. Because some people, I think that they confuse mass um, consciousness mm -hmm. with what we are doing. I think yeah. they really confuse that. Mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes I really don't feel as if this music is for the masses. Am I right or wrong? No, no, the music is for the masses. The for music, the masses. The music is for the people. It's then why is it that the masses don't, why is it, let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Why is it, if the music is for the masses, this is a hard question, a hard question for me. Mm -hmm. Most of this music is done by black people. Why is it that black people specifically don't support this music? One of the reasons that black people don't specifically support And I'm not trying to come at it like, like that. Well, I'm just saying. I know, I know that you're... You know what I mean, how I'm coming that, at it. That you're not coming at it quite like that. Masses, yeah. All right, but in, in terms of trends, okay, yeah, yeah. right, it's a trend. One thing that happened in, in, in the black community, if you look at trends, now you look at disco, Disco was the trend. It starts switching things up in the community. I don't know if you realize it, but yeah. until that happened, yeah. you know, in the black community, when the music came out, <clears throat> the young and the old, we were all listening to the same music. 
I know you, you recognize that. People all listen to the same music. The little cats will listen to the same music their parents were listening to. The disco came and created this shift, and people went along with that, and then things just started changing and changing over. But the focus on the music that we're playing yes. didn't go with that. It doesn't. It didn't go with that trend that they went to. There was a trend. There was a style. And it, okay. didn't, it didn't go along with that because it, it wasn't. Nurture. And we're outside. We're outside of that trend. Yeah. Okay, I got you. Yeah, which is a good thing, though. And it's good because it's original. Thank you. Because nothing could be stronger than originality, no matter what happens. And trends are going to go and go until some point. The trend is going to change over because the trend is a manufactured thing. Yes. But what is real is not manufactured. I got you. Andrew. All right. So it's just like. Uh, my, my belief yes. is that people are going to begin to start listening to the music that we're talking about more because people are going to need more in their soul. Thank you, Andrew. You know? And, and you Thank can you, see Andrew. by the way that the world is changing with a plan that people need something they can hold on to inside. That's hopeful. Okay, so that's how I see it. I love that. I love. Well, you know something? I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you, you interjected that because that makes it really clear to me about um, how many of us feel. I want to ask you a question just generally and you take it for however you think. Um, what are we exploring in this musical realm that we're talking about and what are we exploring to the point of making us so committed and actually giving our lives to it. What is it that we are really about? What are we, yeah, what are we exploring? We're, we're giving our lives to it. Infinity, the infinity of love. Say that again, The infinity of love. Because this love is from the creator. The music is from the creator. The, the spirit that comes to you, that comes out in the instrument, is due to the creator, you are the vessel. And, and to love the music that way, to be that committed, you're committed to a level of love that some people don't go towards. Because of the depth of that level of love. You know? So, and that's what happens. Everyone doesn't carry love that way. And everyone's not willing to sacrifice that way for something that you believe that way about. Wow, Andrew. Thank you, man. I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you a few different people's names. Mm -hmm. If you know the person, because I'm speaking musically as you as a musician, you tell me what you think about the music and how how you how you understand the music to be. And if and if it's a person that you don't know, you can just say so and I'll go to another person. Because I got this whole big thing here. All these people that are of this generation, all these cards. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me just give you one right off off the bat. Mm -hmm. Karen Borka. What do I think of that? Yeah, well, her music. Her music? I think her music is original. I think she has a message. She has something to say, and that she brings something special to her instrument that she be sharing. Wider. That's how I feel about it. Have you ever played with her? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. and what? In what ensemble? Your ensemble or a group? Steve Taylor's ensemble. Oh, all right, all yeah, right. 
from Visions, Visions Orchestra. Uh huh. For these people, tell them who, tell them what she plays. She plays. Yeah. Well, she plays bassoon. She plays bassoon. Yeah. Now that in itself. Yeah, it's a whole other <laughs> yeah, right. and, she, and she brings something special to the consumer. She has bottom in her sound. Her That's sound, what I want to her know. Sound, her sound is not, it's not like um, light and airy, it's bottom in her sound. And that's what makes her sound the way it is. You feel that sound. And you're thinking, man. That's the way, that's, that's the, re yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Um, do you know Zena Perkins? No, no, not socially. Okay, have you heard her play? Not in a long time. Okay, all right, I'll go mm -hmm. on. Um, Glenn Spearman. I remember him. Um, Can you say anything about him? Well, well, he has something to say. Oh, uh, you, you don't know his music that much. Well, I, I listened to it, but, uh, I mean, he had something to say. He had something to share. I hear you. I hear you. And that was, that was great. He had something to share. Yeah, he's part of this generation, I think. Mm -hmm. An integral part of this generation. I think he's about my age. Okay. And, uh, and uh, he was with, um, he was with, uh, let's see, Marco Anidi. Mm -hmm. Marco Anidi. Um, who was a trumpet player? Um, that was just here past, uh, Trump Theater past, um, what is it? Yeah, kind of, kind of, not Roy, but the other Trump player that played in the Cesar Taylor's group with, uh, with David, where, uh, hmm. it'll come to me, it'll come to me, in fact. Um, mm -hmm. have you, do you know anything about Zane Massey? Mm -hmm. Tell us about it. his music. His music, he, yeah. he sincere with his music, and he comes from a musical lineage, and he upholds that lineage. He's very serious about it. Yeah, he's very serious person about that, which is great. You know, he upholds that lineage. He has respect for it. He makes sure that the world does not forget that. And he has his own music, his own message. Right? And he has a lineage that he upholds, right. which is very good. It's very good to see that. It is very good to see it. Yeah, because some I mean, people have a lineage, but they don't really uphold it that way. <laughs> it's true. The, yeah. It's true. Rafael Malik is what I was thinking of. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, what I'm thinking yeah, of, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. could you elaborate yeah. on Or his music? Yeah. You know, a lot of energy, a lot of feeling and emotion. You know, he, he meant it. Did you ever play with him? Yeah, but with within. Uh, oh, within a, a larger orchestra. Yeah, not not not, like that. Um, not not smaller any, smaller ensembles. Yeah, not that one. And I'm gonna ask you about. Let me see here. You know Kevin Norton? It's been a long time since I've seen him. A long time since you've seen him. Long, long time. Oh, oh, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Um. A friend, uh, a friend, and fellow musician. Uh, this is gonna be the last one. Mm -hmm. um, Ted Daniel. From what I remember of his music, uh huh. 
Thank you for tuning in. In months ahead, you will have the opportunity to hear from many more Lost Generation artists and supporters. The audio-only version is available wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to hear upcoming episodes.